welcome to People Keep Dying, a podcast about people who die. I'm your host, Angela, and today we are continuing on the Jack the Ripper series with Chrissy as we speculate wildly, wildly speculate. Wild abandon. Um, who Jack the Ripper might have been. And you sound a lot better, but I don't. I sound a little sick and congested in comparison to you from last, oh, like, yeah. two weeks ago. That was, yeah, that was, that was a bad time. Anyway, but we got it done. So I think we discussed personally that it couldn't possibly have been Charles Dickens. Yes, offline. It could have been. Well, the, no, let's, let's leave that okay. to the end. Just remember to bring up Charles Dickens at the end. In fact, I will write it in my notes right now so you don't want to. Well, it couldn't have been because I when he died. But yeah, we'll take a better guess. Well, you'll tell. I me. have. Do you know what? I have another ridiculous one on here that is like a like a legit thing that people think. Lewis Carroll. No. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to it's the London connection. Oh yeah, the Canadian connection. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, let's get started then. So we finished up with our last canonical victim. Yes. And now we're going to go on to suspects. And I decided to start with the dumb ones, as I titled it. The ones that are just like so stupid that I don't even want to talk about it, but I know I kind of have to. So let's just get through it. And then we can talk about the better suspects, people who actually stand a chance. Anyway, the Royal Conspiracy, it's so this and the theory about the painter Walter Sickert that's pretty popular um it it's basically the plot of the movie From Hell starring Johnny Depp and Heather Graham great movie based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore I mean it's the most like I guess like it's the one you want it to be you want the royal family to be somehow involved in this for some yeah, reason. Yeah, and I think that's why it's still going. Yeah. I think this theory was first kind of put forward. It was like in the 60s or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, And I think it's because yeah, people want to believe that there, you know, there's this like evil network of like lizard people keeping you down and whatnot. But anyway, the lizard people aren't in this. No. Oh, okay. Well, they the might be. That's true. Johnny Depp could be a lizard person, which is a totally different Queen podcast. That's not this been. one. <laughs> Queen Victoria could have been the OG lizard person. Yes. This is so there's a lot of different kind of like um, little tendrils that come out of like people going different directions with the royal conspiracy as to like who is actually the one that did the killings and whatever. But they're all kind of under one big umbrella of ridiculousness. Yes. So. The theory is that the main person who was involved with it was the queen's grandson. So Albert Victor. Was schlepping it around Whitechapel in the middle yeah. of the night. He, so he was known as Bertie or Prince Eddie. And in most things, people just call him Prince Eddie because his father was also named Prince Albert. So, And yeah. so, was, so was her husband, but he was long dead at this point. Is like the piercing named after him? Like supposedly. Okay. I don't know if that's actually true or if it's just a myth, but. And they just decided to call call it a Prince Albert. Yeah. Just for no reason. Well, it was supposedly because he had such tight pants. Oh. Which I have to say. So you can see his piercing through his. No, it was supposed to like, it was supposed to somehow like 
secure to like the leg or like the leg of the pants or something like that, which I don't even get how that would work. I guess because they don't, they don't wear underwear. So no, but I mean, just like tying it to something like if it's your leg, if it's the pants or whatever, like there's was movement. His, was his like penis always erect for it to? No, it was just supposed to like be tucked out of the way. Oh, like so that he could wear the the tightest pants that were possible at the time. So he was like, which I think original... had nothing on like emo guys in like the the mid two thousands wearing like female skinny jeans. He was like the original drag queen. Like he tucked real hard. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying. He... I mean, his pants don't even look that tight when you look at them. But maybe that's just because we've all seen like the male camel toe. Oh yeah, for sure. We 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 lived through the entire emo for scene. the time. They were super tight pants. Anyway, his grandson, Prince Eddie. The first theory is that he did it. He was the murderer. This you know, prince, heir to the throne, the Prince William of his day, out in Whitechapel, murdering, cutting up people. Yeah, sure. And that's why they, they never caught him, because they're like, it couldn't have been him. Exactly, because oh. it goes all the way to the top. The mm-hmm. queen covered it up. I mean... So supposedly he was, this was brought about because he had uh, advanced syphilis, my favorite old timey disease. Yes. Tertiary syphilis. Because it makes you go crazy, right? It's a, yeah. Yes. In like the late stages. So yeah. now, like now, even though it's still around now, it's not the same. No. Because um, you can get treated for it with antibiotics and things like that. Mm-hmm. But back then, especially with like successive infections, you would get like secondary and tertiary syphilis. And that's when people would have like, their noses collapsing and things like that. That must be so attractive. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're a prince, then, and you're going to be a king, possibly, then I guess it doesn't matter what you look like. Yeah. You're always attractive. You can be the most syphilitic of all, I guess. Yes. I don't know. Um, The problem with Prince Eddie being the murderer, besides everything, is that he would have had to first by the point. So for him to be at the point of insanity and psychosis by this point, he would have had to have been first infected as like a young child, which could have been. Um, And furthermore, royal records show that he was not in London for any of the canonical five murders. Oh, so he was like in different parts of the country. I think in one part he was not even in the country. Obviously, it was a body double for all of those events. Oh, no. Do you know who it actually was? It was the Queen's doctor, Sir William Gull. Oh, so and he also was a Freemason. And so then it somehow becomes they're doing this to cover up some kind of conspiracy involving Prince Eddie and his syphilis and his love for sex workers in Whitechapel. And maybe he married a Catholic or something like that. He could have gone much better prostitutes or sex workers. Or I don't I don't really know what the old timey t- term is for back then. I mean, it was, yeah. It, it was, was whatever. Not good. It, there, were, there, there were always terrible ones. But um, I'm pretty sure he could have afforded the best sex worker. The youngest and prettiest. He wouldn't even really need to, though. Like, he could pretty much have. Like, maybe anyone. it's there the discretion. Kinds, that you especially with for. Victorians. Like, they were in all kinds of sex scandals all the time. But you want someone who, like, is experienced, maybe, knows how to handle the wiener. <laughs> With his, after being tied to his leg. Exactly. Jesus Christ. He wanted the discretion and he wanted the experience, you know? He doesn't want these 
old lady type, not old ladies, but the lady type of people yeah. who are more prudish, maybe. He only had four pennies on him at the time. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's that's horrible. I'm sorry, victims. <laughs> anyway, so supposedly the the doctor, Sir William Gall, that comes in saying that he was also a Freemason. So not only did they have to cover up for Prince Eddie, but he also did the, these murders with like some kind of masonic ritual shit it's it's ridiculous it doesn't even make sense but anyway um but it makes a good movie from what year was that 2001 I wow down. i'm surprised from they Hell, haven't made a new one in a while i think i think probably because it's been done to death i mean they're rebooting everything at this point so i guess in 2022 there's definitely going to be a jack the ripper Movie. I don't think it would go over the same now, though. You don't think so? No. Because we have too many serial killers. No, I think it's more of just like a cultural thing where I don't think that it would. I don't know if Jack the Ripper's old. And, like, it's so old that people don't care. Like, they don't feel as... I think. Well, I don't know. I think that people would because it still kind of has that almost like bodice ripper kind of quality of like, you know, they they do the actors and actresses up and like, you know, these like the tight corsets. Oh, yeah, that's and like true. Spilling out. And all Maybe this, we'll you get know. a more accurate, like, what they look like. And yeah. I don't think we're getting any of this. No, <laughs> no. Anyway, I don't know. So it's all stupid. It doesn't make sense. I um, mean, even if he did marry a Catholic woman mm -hmm. who may or may not have been a sex worker, there were, like, there were all these laws at the time about who, like, royals could marry, at what age they had to have consent for it to be legally binding. So even if he had gone, like, the movie From Hell portrays this uh, this part of the theory that he got married to this woman and her friends who were, like, the victims of Jack the Ripper, they were all witnesses at the wedding, and that's why they had to be murdered by the Freemasons. Even though somehow they're all, all the friends were... Um very low class sex worker well because there's because the theory is that the woman that he married was as well oh okay so he was out you know it doesn't slumming. sound like one of them was friends with anyone so well i don't like some of them i think they there's not really any proof i think that any of them knew each other yeah but they were kind of all in the same social circles they were in the mm -hmm. same dos houses all in that very small area where things were like the worst yeah so that it's possible that they might have known each other, like maybe to say hi or to see each other or something like that. Not the last one, to... not, the, not the youngest one. Not yeah, not yeah. really Mary Kelly. Uh, anyway, back to let's finish up this BS so I can stop talking about it. So basically, even if he had had a like Catholic ceremony to get married to this Catholic woman, it would have not been valid at all yeah. legally. So it would not have been the problem that would require. Um, the Freemasons to come in and kill everybody in special ways. On top of that, the this doctor, Sir William Gull, he had his first stroke in 1887, followed by several others, and he ended up dying in 1890. Uh, at the time of the murders, he was 72. He had strokes, and it was reported that he could not even walk. So somehow he's out there murdering, slashing murdering. all these Can't women. Can't even walk. Yeah. Anyway. Um, he had a multiple doppelgangers and help obviously yeah it was the royal guard they, as well yeah they so <laughs> you know people keep trying to i think make it fit yeah it like doesn't that theory yeah but it doesn't no it doesn't at all anyway um i also put under stupid ones any celebrity lewis carroll yeah oscar wilde my man 
I like the Lewis Carroll one because it was like, well, when they were murdered, the ink was purple when he wrote that thing. <laughs> well, and, and there's diaries. also things about like, you know, supposedly there's some way where you can read like certain words out of his published like things. Alice and in Wonderland or like, something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like real. It's just like the, just like the Walter Sickert thing. It's, it's like Da Vinci code shit. Oh yeah. Like, for no sure one it is. did that anyway. You're saying it's probably not any of them. I'm saying it's definitely not. <laughs> and that it's just, it's, it's stupid. It's what about, dumb. what about the woman killer? There was. Oh, Jill the Ripper. Yes. I didn't, actually, I didn't put that in my notes because there's not really a no, lot there isn't. to, to there, say about I, I it. I thought you but, were going to put it as like a throwaway. Like it's, it's probably not. No, I like, I couldn't put them all in because there's just so there's, many yeah. and already. I think I have like six or seven in here. And these notes for this one are longer than all my <laughs> notes for the so previous What it two, means so. is that the suspects will be two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to finish this tonight. It's going to be really long then. I so. know. Let us go into what is the most, well, according to a couple of Jack the Ripper websites with polls on them, this is the most popular theory. And this is also um, a, a contemporary police theory at the time was that the killer was a Polish Jew named Aaron Kuzminski, who was from a large Jewish family who lived in the Pale, um, or in, it was also called Congress Poland, but basically it's like a bunch of, what's now a bunch of different countries in mm. kind of the Poland area, but um, it used to be its own kingdom, and then eventually it got taken over essentially by the Russian Empire, and all the the Jews were kind of essentially forced to be there, and they had all kinds of restrictions and every now and again um you know some priest or politician would make a would make a speech and they would kill a whole bunch of jews so it was a bad time so either his father died young or he just straight up abandoned the family as one does um we're not really sure we don't have the records for that but mm -hmm. his sisters ended up emigrating um eventually he followed them he might have lived in germany for a little while Eventually, he ends up in London, and he's kind of bouncing around between his brothers' and sisters' places, uh, not really having a place of his own, and it looks like he never gets married or anything like that. Uh, later, later on, his mother would join them there, too. Uh, he had what we would now likely know as paranoid schizophrenia, so he would have auditory hallucinations that would tell him things. He would be hearing voices. He was paranoid about food and other people giving him food to the point where he he was known for just um he wouldn't eat anything except out of gutters like just things that people had discarded because his assumption is that they ate it so it must not be I think poisoned so. or he just it i mean i don't think you can really when it's like brought on by something like paranoid schizophrenia i don't think you can really like a lot of it is not the most no. logical yeah, yeah, yeah so it was just like one of his his things and he like wouldn't bathe and things like that it falls in line with like the idea that jack Ripper definitely had serious mental illness issues yes especially to be able to do the things that he did you needed to have some sort of so like some sort of like psychosis or something yeah well and it's also a lot more common for disorganized serial killers i don't know if anyone has read any of the works by john douglas or Robert Ressler, mm -hmm. they were the like the series Mindhunters based on John Douglas's book. Um, one of his books, he's written several, but um, disorganized serial killers, they're a lot more likely to like commit crimes outside. 
to have serious mental illnesses, mm-hmm. um, to have like improvised weapons and things like that. But um, there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot less um, like reliance on the binary of organized versus disorganized mm-hmm. um, because it seems like most killers, serial killers, they'll have kind of bits of one or the other. Yeah. But so this does fall into that. A lot of those kind of um, like classic, points of a disorganized serial killer except the fact that like it wasn't a weapon of opportunity because he did probably bring he did yeah, yeah yeah but like the things like the outside yes. the like mutilation after death mm-hmm. and, and the randomness it was it didn't seem like yeah, anyone like was, yeah yeah so i think that that you know anyway that so anywho he so he was in Whitechapel. His whole family was in Whitechapel, and he worked as a hairdresser which was um a really common job that uh, Polish Jews would have when they emigrated so that you know that he was just kind of a normal guy but then he he ended up not having work for a while because of his deteriorating mental health mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up supposedly attacking or threatening his sister with a knife and that's what got him kind of committed for good I can't remember if we talked about it last time but like with mental illness at the time and like lunatic asylums as they were called like people had to be certified insane, which is, you know, how we still get like these terms that we use that are mm-hmm. certifiable, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like kind of super problematic and yes. whatever. But it's because at the time you like a doctor had to or it might have been a group of doctors. I can't remember exactly now. Um, but anyway, doctors had to certify that you were insane and like not going to get better and you would be like permanently committed to asylums. So it looks like. Aaron Kosminski, his that his brother, one of his brothers, like had him committed to a private asylums in early 1889. And he was actually certified and put into a like a public um, asylum in. Damn, where did I put it down? And that was basically when the murder stopped, right? So the last the last canonical one was Mary Kelly, which Mm -hmm. was November 9th, 1888. the the potential for the for the private asylums um that would have been in the early part like march or something of 1889 okay. so he still would have had a sizable gap yeah if, if, if why did were, he stop during, yeah. yeah um okay so he has been like essentially accused by a couple of high ranking cops who wrote um like memos and mm-hmm. Things in margins of books. Of he probably other. Act, act like suspicious, even if he didn't do it. He probably still would have acted really suspicious. Yeah. So the so the cops that ended up naming him, like they did it after they were retired years and years later. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them says that he was identified by a quote fellow Jew, and that he had been taken to uh, the seaside home. These are all like phrases that are just when you start getting like into researching this stuff you kind of, you know all these phrases of like the McNaughton memoranda and the yeah you know the marginalia and all this sort of thing and so these are all kind of those sort of things but so the sea high, seaside home was likely a private uh, asylum and they believe that if this was Kuzminski that was identified that the witness the only witness that it could have been would have been Israel Schwartz, mm-hmm. who had witnessed uh, Elizabeth Stride, who was the first murder victim of the double event. And he was the one who had seen her 
uh, get thrown to the ground by a man. Yeah. And then the man yelled out Lipsky and he was chased away. However, the asylum notes or records of Aaron Kosminski, they specifically note that he was not homicidal. However, the cops in what they were writing were saying that he was dangerous, homicidal, danger to himself and mm-hmm. others. Um, I don't know how much we can really read into that if they're saying that he wasn't violent because he did threaten his sister with a knife. Yes. I mean. Was that like true? Like it was something that was actually I think verified? it was. I think it's actually in the records okay. of like why he ended up being committed. That All was right. kind of one of the last straw things that happened. I think I've um, threatened my brother with a knife before. So. What? <laughs> I have very vivid memories of chasing him around with a knife. What the fuck? He's 12 years older than Holy me. Holy shit. So. That does not mitigate that at all. So that's why I'm like, is it? <laughs> does that mean you're homicidal? <laughs> Are we sure about this? <laughs> I think so, Angela. Um, are we sure? I think so. I'm pretty sure I'm not homicidal. I don't anymore. know anymore. Excuse me. I, I must leave immediately. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, I think I'm pretty sure it happened. Uh, I don't want to ask him no because he's he's like 12 years older than me, so he'd be like, it's probably a freaking repressed memory by now. Jesus, he's in his okay. 40s and he wakes up in like a cold sweat. <laughs> Like an asshole. I am. Oh my god. Oh my god. Let's talk about Aaron Kosminski more. <laughs> so some of the cons that are against Kosminski are that uh, only the surname Kosminski was recorded by these two separate, like high-ranking cops who named him years and years later. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't even know if. If Israel Schwartz was the witness that they were talking about who identified the guy in the seaside home. It's just assumed that it probably is. It's, um, well, it's speculated. I think there's, like, people have put out reasons as to why it would have had to have been Israel Schwartz who mm-hmm. did it, you know, who who was the person. Um, there's, I mean, there's, like, really detailed things about, like, why people, like, why this is kind of the convention that people believe and uh, we would be here literally forever. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of doing like a quick broad yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, technically, this wasn't officially solved. No, but see, so. the thing is that the cops at the time, like I think at least one of them said, "We all, like, everyone at Scotland Yard knew this was yeah. the guy," and he was off the streets afterwards. Yeah, so they weren't really. But know. there's a couple of problems with that because, well, at first um, there weren't any records of. Uh, Aaron Kosminski going into asylum until like 1891, which mm-hmm. was a couple of years later. Yeah, they, we- but then I think um, I think it's a more a much more recent thing where um, a researcher has found records of him being in private asylums, so that could account for him being not on the streets yes. anymore. Mm-hmm. But the so I mean, first of all, like I was saying before, we went off about your threatening your brother. <laughs> Um, My non-homicidal <laughs> tendencies. <laughs> so they only recorded the last name Kosminski. They did not record his first name. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, are is there only one Kosminski in Whitechapel? Unlikely. Yeah. So, 
especially with people's like aliases and assumed names and all that. And you can change your name all the time. It seems like too. You could be whoever you want to yeah. be. Oh yeah, you just had to tell people like, oh, I'm so and so. Yeah. That's it. Now you're that's your name. So there's that problem. You know, was the person that Israel Schwartz saw throwing Liz Stride to the ground was that even the killer? Yeah. It's um, so that's it's not really for sure. The other thing is that in these accusations that were written down after the fact that supposedly everybody knew, which was not at all, people did not agree mm-hmm. that everyone knew this and uh, that it was Kosminski who was the suspect, whatever. Um, they, they also said that he died shortly after being committed to the asylum. However, Aaron Kosminski, did, and he didn't die until 1919. So in fact, he outlived like a number of the these people. Yeah, like the, the that was like 20 people. years. Yeah, yeah. So, well, almost 30, yeah. Yeah, so 30 years, he, yeah. We know what to say, so there's yeah. kind of, so there are some problems with it. Um, the, the reason that we have this person, Aaron Kosminski, is because a researcher like quite a while ago, I think in the, I don't know, 80s or 90s, something like that, uh, was going through the asylum records and found only one Kuzminski, and it was Aaron Kuzminski. And so that's where why we have this guy. Even though it could be a different Kuzminski. Well, funny you should say that because only a few years prior at this same uh, asylum, there was another uh, there was another person there whose last name was Kaminsky. Oh. So a lot of people think that it could just be like a mistake with yeah. the names, like Kosminski, Kaminsky. Kaminsky, that's really close. Yeah, these yeah. like, you know, foreign names and people are like, oh, I don't even know how to spell it. I'll just, you know, write down whatever. Yeah. So this guy was named supposedly Nathan Kaminsky, a.k.a. David Cohen. And we're going to talk about him next. So he was also paranoid. He also had paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, he was taken in by the police for like kind of wandering around and I think just generally being threatening and scary mm-hmm. in December of 1888. And he was initially sent to a workhouse, uh, which he had to pretty much immediately leave because he was so extremely violent to himself and others. I think he first got sent to an infirmary and then they had to send him on to an asylum because he was just such a, like he was so violent such a danger he had to have uh like special clothes made because he would just like tear his clothes like rip his clothes off he would like at one point he ripped like a lead pipe off the wall that's very strong he would try to um like he would just try to like kick and beat people like if they got close to him so he kind of got almost like the Hannibal Lecter treatment because he was just so like homicidally violent essentially but he does sound a lot more like in line with possibly yeah so nathan kaminsky so there's records of him uh being treated for syphilis Mm -hmm. in Whitechapel around this time uh and then he kind of later disappears from the records uh as we've discussed before yes late stages of syphilis can cause these kind like psychosis break from reality and this sort of thing this person, so so at the time that Nathan Kaminsky vanishes from the records, the police take in this guy in December 1888, and they write his name down as David Cohen. Oh, which you're like, you know, that's that's a different name. Yeah, but 
supposedly in that area when they had like a Jewish guy that they couldn't identify mm -hmm. instead of calling him John Doe, they would just use David Cohen because God Going forbid you use the same name. No, you want to go. Gentile. You want to make sure that they need sound to make sure a little that more Jewish. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So the this guy that they took in, he was first of all uncommunicative, but then also had um, a poor grasp of English, and he mainly spoke Yiddish. Oh. So he didn't want to talk to them anyway. He wasn't telling them his name. Um, they, you know, probably were just like, "Oh, screw this, David Cohen," and he got put into the asylum. He ended up dying in 1889 so that fits oh, a lot more with the yeah. with what they said about you know this guy was extremely violent danger to himself and other he was taken into the asylum not long after the murders and he died not long after he went in so this makes kind of a lot more sense so he was admitted right after yeah. mary kelly yeah uh, it was it was like about a month later so. okay all right yeah and there was like a month's break in between there was more than a month's break in between the double event mm -hmm. and and maybe because he was satiated from like having all that time too right what after a double yeah. event he had a long time but yeah. maybe it's because he had more time so i wonder if like that kept the like all of his emotions and stuff at bay i don't yeah i think there's i mean there's a lot of debate to be had there yeah i like him more than the first guy i think yeah yeah, yeah. um so the the thing is that how to me, the biggest problem is that how do we really know that Aaron or sorry, that uh, Nathan Kaminsky is one and the same as David Cohen? Mm -hmm. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's um, but like the researcher who came up with this theory himself kind of, you know, says, well, you know, we would have to it's like make the assumption that it's the same guy. Mm -hmm. the th like the records do kind of support it because Nathan Kaminsky just kind of vanishes and then and David Cohen all of a sudden David Cohen shows yeah. up so possible but it's also one of those things where it's like you kind of have to it's it's a leap mm -hmm. and if you're going by Occam's razor as to like you know the theory that uses the least amount of assumptions yes to work is most likely to be the true one and that seems like a major issue for me Okay. Ba, ba, ba. Oh, but also, we are wildly speculating. Wildly so. speculating. This isn't even my wild speculation. This though. is professional ripperologists. Yes. Who write lots of books. Mm -hmm. um, the So part of the reason, though, that this research, I forget which researcher it was now. Was it Paul Bag? I can't remember. Anyway, Martin, I, I don't know. One of those guys. One of those big guys. Um, David Cohen, this David Cohen, John Doe, basically, was the only Polish Jew in the area to be taken into asylum who was violent, taken in at the right time, and died within like a short period of time afterwards. So he's kind of the yeah. only one that fits. But in this case, the witness who who did the identification in the seaside home, mm -hmm. it would not have been Israel Schwartz. It would have had to have been one of the three men who passed by Kate Eddowes and saw her talking to a man yes. with her hand on his chest yeah. 10 minutes before she was found like horrifically and, you know, like extensively mutilated. Mm -hmm. That guy's name was Joseph Luenda. He was also a Polish Jewish immigrant. Mm -hmm. um, he was the only, so of the three people walking by, he was apparently walking a bit behind his two friends. Mm -hmm. So he was the only one that paid attention that really took notice of 
Kate Eddowes and the man that she was standing with. Yeah. And he was able to identify Kate by her clothing yeah. in the mortuary. So that's how he could say that, like, yes, I for sure saw this. And it does seem a lot more likely that that the person that he saw would be the killer because it's such a short time frame from seeing her alive and then 10 minutes to see her her, like entirely eviscerated and all these mutilations so it seems more likely that that he would be so those are kind of the main people in the the polish jew theory Mm -hmm. um was there some like was there any sort of like racism that took part as to why the police would have focused on mostly Polish Jews over oh, anyone yeah. else? Yeah. Oh yeah, like people were super racist at the time, and most people were not even you know they wouldn't even try to hide it or anything. Yeah, but there was also huge racial tensions in the East End at the time, mm-hmm. and like last time when we talked about the the double event and how there were the words written on the wall in shock the Jews yeah. are the men that won't be even though nothing. I think that was just random yeah, yeah I think I now I I'm leaning towards it was probably random as well yeah um and the like that one head honcho guy ordered them to like wipe it down mm-hmm. wash it off before people would see because Scotland Yard had like uh they had in the Metropolitan Police they had a a fairly I mean not unfounded belief that that could set off essentially racial violence yes in the east end as it usually happens yeah so 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 that's really so as much as people are like oh that like they're covering up for prince eddie and or you know whatever ridiculousness it is or like you know it's all a you know masonic conspiracy or whatever thing it's like really it 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 seems like it's more likely what they said it was which was that it was to avoid essentially a race riot yes and not for the lizard people. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he was. This is not that kind person. of podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, so the other thing, like the when you when you look at Kosminski versus Kaminsky slash Cohen, the thing is that Aaron Kosminski, he does seem to be the the contemporary suspect, whereas Nathan Kaminsky is like the modern suspect. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to, you know, judge for yourself what you think those two are worth. And uh, anything else to say there? Oh, one thing I did want to say. So with the the reason that they say, the cops say that this never came out was because, first of all, the guy was dead at some point or they yeah. believed he was dead not long after. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I assume on. he couldn't control whatever but was they, happening. Yeah, so yeah. the... The reason that they gave that they could not uh, prosecute was because the the fellow Jew, as they called them, who did the identification, mm-hmm. supposedly refused to like testify against this person and yeah. identify. So he like identified him to the cops, but said, "I would not do it publicly in a court testify." Of law mm-hmm. Because you know they had said that the, these cops who put it out said something along the lines of like, you know, Jews wouldn't testify against fellow Jews. However, that was disputed by other contemporary police, you know, officials and one who even said, you know, like, that's a dangerous assumption to be making. Yeah. It's just like not true, which sounds right. It's like you're not going to be like, ah, I mean, he's a murderer, but I don't want, you know, the Gentiles to kill him. It's like, I don't think that doesn't sound right to me. Um, Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that's pretty bad. (laughs) Like the whole place was in 
that time was kind of awful. Of terror. Yeah. It's like, would you just let the guy keep going around? All right, let's move well, on. He's to- dead now. For sure he's dead now. Oh, they're all, yeah. Everyone's dead now, at least. They're all dead. It's been like that's 130 the only, years. That's the only, like, 100% thing I can say. For sure, Jack Ripper is dead. Unless he's Ted Cruz. Unless he's also Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is all might have also killers. been Charles Dickens. You heard it here first. <laughs> anyway. Ted Cruz is tar- Charles Dickens? Man, this is insane. <laughs> uh, okay. We're going to go on to another contemporary police suspect. This is a guy named Montague John Druitt. As you can probably guess by that name, he came from a rich family. Yes. Um, they weren't like in the British sense, like upper class, but Do, his are, are there like like names reserved just for rich people? No, I think it's just like a class of names. I don't know if anyone listens to Small Town Murder, but it's like it's the bewigged douchebag, as oh, they would say. Okay, so there's just you know there's just like these names, and it just sounds like it belongs to a bewigged douchebag. Yes, like you're you're who's gonna name their kid first name Montague? Anywho, so he was the son of a doctor. And he was educated at Oxford University in classics. So there you already kind of get a sense of what this guy was like. He was a really good cricket player. He played in these like leagues. It's it's not really like pro sports, but I guess I think that probably the equivalent would be almost like semi-pro sort of thing. Like he was a really good cricket like player. Like minor league? Sort of, yeah. Um, but so he was he was a really good cricket player like at university and then he was in all these different teams at different points and at the time of his death he was the like secretary and treasurer of his cricket club that he was in and they like played all over the country and whatnot anywho after he got his uh his uh whatever I don't even know what the degrees were called at the time whatever he finished his thing in classics and then he decided to become a lawyer. And he was successful in that. He got called to the bar. But at the time, lawyers were so expensive that it was essentially really rare for lawyers to actually be able to make a living doing just law work. Oh. Which it seems so ridiculous. But now, I try to think about like, and this is like more in the future than um, this time. But I'm trying to think of like To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, like how he was a lawyer, but I don't think he was a very rich lawyer either. No, I don't know. So but anyway, so he so drew it worked uh, as an assistant schoolmaster at a prestigious boys boarding school. Um, and actually the queen's son. So Prince Eddie's father had had gone there back when he was a kid. So not at the time that John Drew was there, but that, you know, so this was like a rich people school. Boarding schools just seem like a breeding ground for sociopaths. Funny, you in say my that. opinion, <laughs> alienating anyone who goes to boarding school, <laughs> alienating anyone with money, which is <laughs> totally so not fair. So anyway, so he initially took this position as like an assistant schoolmaster to help pay for his like law education, mm-hmm. whatever. But then he continued to work out it after he had been called to the bar, and he was doing a bit of like work as a lawyer. But essentially, he couldn't make a full living as a lawyer, so he stayed on here. However, on November 30th, 1888, Mary, uh, Mary Kelly was killed on the 9th. So November 30th, he was suddenly fired from the school. 
and they didn't record what happened, but apparently he was in, quote, serious trouble. And it's what people think now is that that's kind of code for him being homosexual and or engaging in some kind of inappropriate inappropriate and or like pedophilic, which is what I always jump to when I think of like a boarding school. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. Which is unfair, but that's what I think of. Okay. So that's like, that's what modern people kind of interpret it as. You have to kind of look in between the lines of like the Victorian speech. Yeah. But I also understand homosexuality was. It was, it was literally a crime at the time as that's going to come up later. That's what, that's what they got Oscar Wilde for. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Oscar Wilde. Anyway. Best. <laughs> so November 30th, he's suddenly fired. In early December, he is missing. And by the 21st, his cricket club, because he hasn't been showing up and no yeah. one knows where he is, they just they pull an old timey crime, you know, thing where they're like, oh well, the conclusion is that he surely must have just left the country and not told anybody. So they mm. took him, they basically struck him from the minutes book. And uh, took away his roles. So think that maybe he died or. No, they're just like, well, you know, the only solution is that he went abroad. Of course. Oh, sure. However, sure. on December 31st, a decomposing body was found floating in the Thames with four large rocks in each pocket. Oh. Um, along with some other stuff like um, quite a substantial bit of money, like a nice pocket watch, some kid gloves. And uh, he was. So this person was identified as Montague John Druitt. The train ticket in his pocket was dated December 1st, and that was coming from the area where the school was okay. down to, like, an area near the river where he, mm-hmm. like, killed. So, almost, so it's basically, it's a suicide, essentially. Um, he put heavy rocks into his pocket. <coughs> he jumped in, drowned himself in the river, and he was found, like, a month later. Um, and, I mean, I guess you could see why someone might did he have any violent like that if that was true like if it was true that he was fired for being gay or yeah you know but i mean you would like you would never work in those kind of circles again but like, people would like did he have it. any violent tendencies no but his mother had been committed as we talked about before okay she had been, so she had um commi- been committed to an asylum not long before this and he had left a note in his room addressed to one of his brothers where he had said that he was afraid that he was turning out like mother and was her she? side of the family also had um, a number of suicides and suicide attempts. Okay. And I have read that that's a big indicator of like suicidal behaviors. If you've had especially close family members, so like mm-hmm. his grandmother had died by suicide um, later on his sister, at least one of his sisters did. And so that anyway, I mean, back then, if homosexuality was like a crime, he might just not want to. If either he's a pedophile, and I don't feel bad at all that he wanted to kill himself, or I feel really bad that because he was, you know, gay, and then that could also be another reason. Yeah. So the people who put him forward as a Jack the Ripper suspect, they say, Mm -hmm. "Oh, well, he, you know, Mary Kelly was the last victim killed November of November ninth, eighteen eighty eight. Montague John Druitt." Uh, died by suicide on December 1st. Yes. 
So there, that, there you that's, go. That's, that explains why they stopped. No. Then there's the question, did they actually stop? I'm not even going to go into that. Yeah. That's, but, so that's what people rely on to say, well, okay. it has to have been him. There were all these rumors about like a, a member of parliament supposedly like publicly made a statement saying, oh, well, Jack the Ripper drowned himself in the Thames like not long after Mary Kelly. And he was the son of a surgeon. Oh. Montague John Drew was the son of a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he had... Uh, drowned himself not long after. I didn't. I, I feel like he was pulling that out of his asshole. I feel like yeah. There's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um. And the another thing that people point to a pro is that because his father was a doctor, he likely would have had at least a rudimentary knowledge of anatomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, both from you know having. I mean, you could just go and like watch surgeries and autopsies yeah. and things back then. But also his father was a, a doctor, so he might have, um, you know, all kinds of books would have been around. He probably read book, like some of the books as a kid as you like look through it, all those things and try to find like what, which are the titillating pictures and that sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, who knows? He had a, he had a good education that probably included anatomy at some point. So that, so that adds to people who say, oh, he had to have some kind of medical, medical training, training or anatomical knowledge. Even though I don't think that's – I think, like, some person who did it kind of just went in and was like, this looks cool and pulled it out. Yeah. 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 That's what it seemed like to me. Yes. <laughs> so some of the cons that I put in his uh, side were that on the days after the murders of um, Polly Nichols and then the double event, so Liz Stride and Kate Eddowes, he played cricket in matches that were far away from Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. And on the day of Annie Chapman's murder, he was in the West Country in a courtroom defending a client. Yeah. See, so, like it would have this was before planes and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like there were trains. So people have said, oh, well, it's possible that he could have like, been you know, really hard. run straight from here yeah. to like, get the train and this sort of thing. But it's it's very unlikely, I think. Um he so he did have his law chambers were not very far from Whitechapel. It was described as walking distance. However, if we remember from the Kate Edo scene, a piece of her apron had been ripped off. Yes. And there was like blood and fecal matter on it. And it was dropped under the the Golston Street graffito. Yes. That we already talked about. And that was heading um in the literal opposite direction from the oh. way that that Montague John Drew, if this were him, if he were heading towards his law office and the train station that he used to get from his law office to where he lived. Yeah. So literally the opposite direction. Yeah. And I think some of the the other kind of cons in this column are that he was a higher class. He was not from Whitechapel. He likely would have stood out like a sore thumb. He wouldn't have been able to be getting on this train, like all covered in blood and everything. That's true too. Like you could if you were walking around Whitechapel dressed, you know, like a horse slaughterer or something yeah. like that. Um, like a butcher would have made more like, okay, you see him covered in blood, sure, whatever. Yeah. I And also the last thing, and this is going to come up with another person, is that I personally, I have a hard time buying into this, uh, you know, gay man kills sex workers yeah. because he hates women. There's no reason. Like that just doesn't make no. sense with what we know about serial killers. Like I can only think of one killer who who like intentionally killed people that he was not sexually attracted to and it was Colin Ireland in the UK. He's what he said this is what he said anyway if you believe him. He said that he wanted to be known as like this great serial killer and he thought 
the easiest way to get away with it would be to kill gay men. It's like, mm, I think mm, you protest no. too much. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you you you're just yeah. hiding. Like anyone it. who if if you like if you read any stuff about kind of the psychology of serial murder, it's it's it is a very sexual crime, even if there is no like sexual assault yes. involved with it. And so like both of the things that he's he might be accused of, which is homosexuality or pedophilia, doesn't really line up with I, any of the victims. Yeah, I think it kind of falls more into like an older people still believe it now because they yeah. say, oh, there was no there was no rape. And, you know, the parts that were obliterated were think... the parts that like physically make a woman or yeah. whatever. And which like... is why I like the second guy for it. I like yeah. the Cohen guy for and it. I, th- I think that it's kind of more born from that um, stereotype or like, you know, what uh what's called like prejudice against gay people that like oh well if if someone's a homosexual they're, they're a sexual women. deviant yeah deviant, and that means that you know they're you know like people would believe and some still do that like you know all gay people are therefore pedophiles or like one in the same i remember like, that's not that's not how it works there's that guy with the bicycle gang in london who started that like men against pedophiles and like it's a biker game that, that has that under under jackets and i'm like Oh, that's cool because I saw it once. Yeah. I looked into it and realized that it is an anti-gay uh, organization because they're basically saying every all pedophiles are homosexuals. And I'm like, where do you that get literally this? makes and no like, sense or and if you're homosexual, you are a pedophile. I'm like, where yeah. do you get these really stupid ideas from? Like, I don't know. Uh, it's very frustrating to live in a world like this where you can maintain being this ignorant. I, yeah, like, I know. And it's one of those things where it's like you just feel like um, like that that line drawing of like the Jackie Chan meme where you're like, yeah. it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, do you listen to yourself? It makes no sense. I'm like doing the actions. <laughs> As if like they can, they can hear uh, it. Yeah. But, well, they can but that's why it. I said the Jackie Chan like yeah. line drawing meme back when rage faces were. The, the hot thing. Anyway, let's go on to our next person who was also a sort of a contemporaneous uh, suspect. He was active at the time and at the time that he was caught for the crimes that I, I'm going to talk about, he, uh, there were still a lot of police involved, alive who were involved with the case and they thought that he might have been a good suspect. This guy was named Severin Klazowski, also known as George Chapman, no relation to Amy Chapman. He was born in uh, Congress, Poland, the Pale, all that kind of thing that we talked about. But unlike a lot of the other people who are Polish immigrants that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. he was not Jewish. Okay. Uh, at 14, he was apprenticed to a surgeon and he ended up taking this course to be like certified as a surgeon that lasted from, this is not related people, to anything, just listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> to become his own like functioning surgeon. He took this course that lasted from October 1885 until January 1886. Literally what? Like what? Like like four months. That's all you need to be a doctor. I I mean, I guess, sure. Uh, people are always like, well, why can't you become a doctor? It's like, well, it used to only take you like four months to do it. Yeah. Takes me much longer now because we have standards. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And germ theory is a thing now. Yeah. Anyway. And they want you to have practice doing it. Well, he, yeah, he had, he learned like the hands on way. Um, anyway, he, despite like passing this course, he seemed to have still worked as like a nurse or kind of like an orderly in the, in this hospital he was working with and not actually as a surgeon. 
he likely emigrated to Britain in about in like 1887, maybe 1888. In 1889, he married a Polish girl who also lived in London named Lucy. Um, they seemed to be happy for a while. They had they ended up having two kids in total, I think. But at some point, a woman shows up from Poland and she says, "No, I'm his wife." Oh. So he had just apparently abandoned this other woman, went off and, you know, got, which was so much had easier like a to do back then. Yeah. Somehow yeah. she heard about it. Sure. Back in the Russian Empire. Yeah. And she turned up and was like, what? Apparently they lived together for a while. Like all of them lived together That's... for a little bit. And then she ended up the the woman who came from Poland. Uh-huh. I don't I don't even have like what her name was, but she eventually she was like, this is ridiculous and she left yes good good yeah good uh okay so eventually in 1891 they moved to new jersey and so severin at the time and lucy they moved to new jersey and they lived there for a while while they're there she's pregnant with i think their second child at the time and uh he is like beating her severely all the time no and he had a knife and he later admitted to her that he that that night he intended to murder her and cover it up. And he was just going to tell the neighbors that she went back to England. So she That's says, cool. this is scary. So she leaves. They were in like Jersey City yeah. or something. And she goes back to London. She has the, their second kid. Eventually, he comes back to London, too. They reconcile for some. I don't know why. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe she couldn't find anyone better than she's like. Yeah, I guess. so they reconcile. I mean, yeah, like you can't you can't get divorced at the time or whatever. I mean, technically, I think and that she had they're, kids. They're, yeah, and it's it's hard. You'd finding have someone. you have very few to none choice. Yeah, few to no you basically well. have no choice but to get back with. But anyway, yourself. after they kind of were back together for a little bit, she was like, "No, I remember why I left," and they yeah. separated for good. And she took the kids, and he never saw them again. Which I'm sure he was real broke up about, considering he already had a wife he abandoned in Poland, and he was probably happy that he didn't have to like pay any money or do anything to yeah. get out of the situation. Oh yeah, so. yeah, it's amazing what a lot of really horrible beatings will get done for you. Yeah. Uh, after this, he got into a relationship with a woman, ironically named Annie Chapman. Again, oh, no relationship; oh it's just a common so name. Weird. But because of that, he ended up changing his name from, you know, the very Polish Severin uh, to Chapman to George Chapman. So a lot of times that's how you'll see it written, because I think it's just easier. Like we're still we're still like them back then. We're like, that's a hard name to write. We do it now. Yes. So Uh, she ended up having a kid with him. Um, He basically told her to screw off. And she didn't. He never saw that kid either. Good. As it turns out, good for the two of them. Yeah. He ended up meeting this woman named Mary Spink. She was an alcoholic. She was in a bad marriage. Um, She wanted to leave her husband behind. So they got fake married and kind of set up shop together. He, at the time, was working in barber shops. Mm -hmm. They ended up setting up their own barber shops where they would do musical shaves. So Mary would play the piano. Like, Sweeney Todd? Sort of. Except Sweeney Todd, no one was there playing the piano. It was just a musical, so it was just happening in the air. Yes, that's true. Okay. So Mary would play the piano while George was shaving the customers. And for a while, they did really well and made, like, decent money and everything. Mm -hmm. However, he would beat her all the time. 
neighbors would always hear it. She would have all kinds of bruises and just be like, you know, beat to like just horribly as you as one can imagine. Eventually, their barbershop like failed. So I guess the musical shape was kind of a a, a niche a gimmick like, that yeah. didn't last. Um, at that time that it shut down, he went and bought a a po- a thing that's called tartar emetic. So mm-hmm. emetics are things that like make you vomit. So this was a powder that you could buy from a chemist, and you would take like a large dose of it to make yourself vomit. Oh, like if you ingest a chemical or something? Yeah. 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 So just like that, Ipica- I can never say that yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, Any yeah. of that kind. Of, so that's what it's for. But the thing is that there is the poison antimony in it, which is a compound. So it's a poisonous oh. compound. And that's in there. And that's a very Victorian thing, right? They're like, oh, you need medication? How about fucking laudanum? <laughs> you know? Like what about just, cocaine? Yeah. Let's do things and things that have like literal like poisons in them. Mercury. Yeah. So- he bought an ounce, which was a huge amount of this uh, tartar emmerich. And he, so I should also add to that it is, um, so it's easily dissolved in water. It doesn't have a color. It has like a very faint taste. So it's easy to kind of cover it with other taste, like other flavors. Um, And if you take it in small doses over time, it's not just going to make you like vomit and then it's out of your system you're going to have a really slow and painful death that lasted like months. That's so loving. It's yeah. So at this time he became a manager of a pub and uh, Mary Spinks starts having horrible stomach pains and she's sick all the time. They have like some nurses and stuff that come and look after her. And eventually in uh, 1897, she dies. Supposedly at the time that she died, George Chapman Severin Klosowski was Klosowski. I can't even say it anyway. God, I'm as bad as them. Anyway, he was supposedly standing in the room and the nurse was there too. And I think a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he supposedly said, you know, when when she was kind of dead after her like last breath or whatever, he goes, oh, Polly, Polly, please speak. Something like that. He goes into the other room where they hear him cry. Uh-huh. And then he goes downstairs and opens the pub for the regular day of business. I mean, that's, you don't know how people cope with their loss Um, making money is a good way to cope with your loss so not very long afterwards he ends up hiring a woman named bessie taylor to work as a barmaid they soon get fake married it doesn't say if she knew they make it seem like mary spink knew that he was married and they weren't really legally married because she was also married to somebody else oh okay but I think with I think with Bessie Taylor and the next woman we're going to talk about, I think that they did not know that they were only fake married to him. I thought they 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 thought they were real married. Like the, the, that was the first marriage. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a second family or a yeah. fourth. Yeah, or like you know a whole bunch of wives just yeah. all over the place. <laughs> He's got his English wife. He's got his Polish wife. Anyway, you need one in every country. So the same kind of thing happens where he's super abusive and violent towards her. Uh, they get fake married. Eventually, she starts having the same symptoms that Mary did. So she has stomach pains. Oh, She's sick no. all the time. And George Chapman decides, okay, people I think are going to get suspicious that my new wife has what my old wife had. And so he makes the move out to Hertfordshire. Eventually, though, they end up coming back to London where he gets, he leases his own pub to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he tries to like burn it down for insurance money, but he can't even do that. So anyway, 
Taylor then dies of poisoning on Valentine's Day. How romantic. True love. Uh, literally, like a couple months later in the same year, he hires a woman named Maud Marsh, which it sounds like she should be running around the Marvel Universe yes. and not being horribly mistreated and or murdered South by this Park. guy. Yes. <laughs> okay. So she gets, so it's the same cycle. She gets hired as the barmaid. They start a relationship. They get she fake gets, married. She gets and really sick super abusive yeah. and she starts after so it, take, it took a year okay he was okay with her for a year and then he was like ah, i'm sick of this lady just like fighting back her. a little bit yeah so he starts giving her the small doses mm-hmm. of this tartar emmerich that he was giving the other ones but her mother was visiting and she became suspicious of these illnesses and she would see i believe she was staying with them at the time she would see that he would insist on mixing up her medicines and administering oh. them himself to her and she thought it was weird yeah so she got her own like she hired her own doctor to come in and look like an independent doctor to come in and look at this to look at her daughter mm-hmm. and try to figure out what was wrong and he couldn't figure he didn't you know he didn't know at the time. No, Doc- no, no it seems like doctors are never like well it was, it was like poisoning yeah because it's just an uncommon thing you don't think about it it's not like now where you always assume someone's poisoning you but yes I, maybe that's just us as true crime fans though just like this is it. This you is how we're gonna. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I've I've watched like four seasons of Snapped, so I'm starting to believe that we're just all trying to kill everyone. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, but um, so Mrs. Marsh calling in this doctor, it it spooked Chapman quite a bit, and he ended up giving Maud a massive dose the next day, which did no. cause her to like horribly die, etc. Um, the doctor that came to do the death certificate, mm-hmm. he, I think he spoke to the mother and he refused to issue the death certificate. So if someone had just died of natural causes, they wouldn't have an autopsy. Yeah. Because, you know, it happened all the time, even with young women and, you know, young people and whatever. People still died of illnesses fairly young back then. It mm-hmm. wasn't as uncommon as it is today. So it wasn't routine to have an autopsy and they would just like be like, oh, yeah, she died, you know, this time, this date of natural causes, whatever. So this doctor refused and he said, no, she's going for an autopsy. Yes. And when they did that, they found huge amounts of antimony in her stomach, in her, like her liver, in her brain. So it, it's so unfortunate that she had to die. Yeah. So they could tell that it had been like a long process. Mm -hmm. He had been like deliberately poisoning her over a period of almost like a year or something like that. So then they find out about these other women, his other two wives, two of his other wives. That died in very suspicious. In similar circumstances. Mm -hmm. So they exhumed them. And there is another uh, symptom of this antimony element that I haven't talked about yet, but it's that it actually preserves bodies for years after. So they exhume these women and their bodies are like really well preserved. So this is 1903 at this point. And the first one died in 1897. So she, so at the time that they pull her up, she's been dead for like six years and she's still, so they're able to, to, to see like the, you know, obviously they're preserved like they would be with Anthony. Yeah. And then it was in their systems too. So they well, charge him with three murders. Mm-hmm. Um, he somehow only gets convicted of Maud Marsh's murder. And he is sentenced to hang 
But where is the connection to him and Jack Ripper? Like, why do people think it's people think it's him because he killed multiple women in but not in the same way. I don't think it makes any sense. No, I don't know. I don't agree with this either. Like, it's hard for me to sit here and argue like why it was him (laughs) because I think that it's not at all like that's poisoning. And then that's different. Beating someone up and poisoning are different. So especially like a slow poisoning of like your wife over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. That's very different from slashing someone into the street. Yeah. And like doing the like to a perfect stranger and doing these like crypt. And why would you just stop after that? Like such a short time of the violent murder. Anyway, I don't think it makes sense. But anyway, other. So that's the big con for me. The other thing is that he would have been only 23 years old at the time of the Autumn of Terror. Most of the witnesses uh, put the descriptions of the men that they saw more around the age of like 35 to 40. Mm -hmm. So he would have been very young at the time. The other thing is that he didn't speak much English in 1888 and witnesses heard people speaking to some of the women, Mm -hmm. Um, like especially Kate Eddowes. No one ever said, sounded like, he didn't speak English yeah. as first language. No one said anything about any accents. That's also kind of one of the points against, I think, uh, the David Cohen Kaminsky guy. Oh, what did he, he didn't because he had he a very thick. He didn't speak much English. Oh. Like he, it sounds like he wasn't even really like conversational in yeah. English. So that's anyway. And the last thing I put down was that he, why would he have stopped? Yeah. We already covered that. Anyway, it's definitely not him, but he's one of them. Another person that it definitely wasn't but a lot of people think it was, was a guy named Francis Tumblety. So he was an American quack doctor and a fraudster, general uh, criminal and all around. At age 17, he got his start selling porn in Rochester, New York. Was he a murderer? Oh, yes. Oh, he was. Okay. He sets up. So he leaves town and goes to Detroit where he puts out his uh, his shingle, calling himself a great physician and selling cure-alls and like fake you know, like snake oil, essentially. Yeah. Things that were called like Tumble Tea's Pimple Destroyer, Dr. Morse's Indian Root Pills. And he made a lot of, he made a lot of money at this. And he was known for his like super eccentric clothes. He was very flamboyant. And he had like the most baller mustache of all time. It was like the biggest yes. mustache that ever existed. It was the mustache that was Jack Ripper. Yeah. Obviously. Well, that's, and see, and that's the other thing about Severin, uh, George Chapman, he also had a very impressive mustache. The thing, I feel like that's very distinguishable. It doesn't people even, would have pointed that out. Yeah, yeah. If people had seen a mustache like that, they'd have been like, "Well, I think it's tw- if it if like if it was Chapman at twenty three, I don't think like he would probably just have like oh, a couple of gross true. peach fuzz hairs. Yeah, like Michael Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be able to have the impressive mustache that he had at like thirty seven or that's whatever. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, Tumble Tea ended up going all over the place. He lived in, okay, I like how they list all these American cities like Boston, St. Louis, uh, Washington, D.C., New York, New Orleans, Baltimore, and then Canada. Yeah, just generally Canada, Canada is one city. Who knows? Um, an interesting fact about him was that he was taken into custody by order of the Secretary of War on suspicion of being involved in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Because they believe that he was connected to one of the conspirators. Uh, But they couldn't prove it, so he ended up being released. Part of what people point to that they think makes him a good suspect for Jack the Ripper is that he was recorded as having an intense hatred of women, especially sex workers. 
he would tell people that he had been married to a woman and she betrayed him by becoming a sex worker and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he would say all these things about like, you know, the worst thing for men ever is getting involved with women. And so, you know, was it true? I mean, he was notoriously full of shit. So yes, unlikely, I think. Um, he was just a giant piece of shit misogynist. He also had a large collection of preserved human uteruses in jars. See, that that would be a, the reason why I would think that. That he maybe. loved to show off. See, and well, and that's the thing. That's why people point to it and say, oh, like that's but really suspicious. he didn't suspicious take because... that many of them. He only took no. one, right? But anyway, supposedly yeah. these uteruses came from, quote, every class of woman. That's different. Yeah. He's weird. And he would, he'd love to show it off to yeah. his buddies. Um, I don't think he was going out and collecting it himself. Eh, I don't know. It's like taxidermy people don't usually go out and like kill their own animals. They usually like find them on the side of the road sometimes and stuff. I don't know. Or you I don't find know about taxidermy or hunters. <laughs> anyway, in 1874, he moved to Liverpool in the UK and he set up uh, selling his, you know, like BS potions and whatnot. Yeah. And in the next year, 1875, um, a man died the day after taking a spoonful of medicine from him. And Tumblety also found out he was being sued for publishing some kind of like fake testimonial or whatever. So he flees to London. Uh, however, he kind of he's going back and forth between the United States and Europe during all this time. And the thing that that another thing that people point to about him was that he was arrested by the Metropolitan Police, which that was the main uh, police force involved in the Jack the Ripper. So they were the cops in Whitechapel. Um, he was arrested on November 7th, 1888. Mary Kelly was killed November 9th. So he was arrested for gross indecency, yeah. which as we talked about, that's what they did. When was he released? I don't have exactly what day he was released, but he was, it was after Mary Kelly for sure. No, I don't think so. I think like, I think he was kind of released right away because it wasn't yeah. like while all like all uh, homosexual contact between men was illegal at the time. It wasn't like it still wasn't like a violent crime. Yeah, so I think they didn't really like he put up his three hundred pounds, which was a huge amount at the time. Yeah. So he's out on bond. And we're talking about pennies here, like <laughs> the last two episodes. So yeah, yes. yeah. Um, on November twentieth, he leaves for France under a false name, and then he goes from France back to the United States. The thing is that he was actually, while he was only discovered by modern ripperologists fairly recently, he was actually um, a contemporary police suspect, as it turns out. Um, it, it was found in like a letter that someone just like happened across in like a book in an antique store. It's like it's a it's a wild story, but um, the New I still York don't think it's him. So but... the New York Times oh. reported at the time that that. Tumble T was connected that he had been they found out about his arrest they had correspondence in London and all over the world and whatnot so they so that's the other thing I, that's kind of interesting is that there were all of these reporters from countries all over the world that were in London and they were reporting on it too so people here in North America and in like Australia and everywhere were also reading about Jack the Ripper because they had reporters on the ground there so the New York Times reported that Tumble T had been they found out about his arrest uh, the two days before Mary Kelly's murder and that he fled and they put, you know, posted, they posted like it's a blog 
they had they didn't post shit anyway they printed in their paper um that he was connected to the ripper murders and that a police uh inspector had come to america to investigate a police officer like a police inspector had indeed been sent from the uk to investigate tumble tea and the new york uh PD was also surveilling him because they also thought that he might be the murderer, but they end up telling the, like the British, um, their British counterparts that they don't have any evidence that it was him. And the UK was trying to get him extradited back Mm -hmm. to England for the gross indecency charge, but the U S would not, um, they wouldn't extradite someone for that charge. No, good because it's, it's not a serious charge. No. Yeah. But I don't I mean, like not him. that things were like probably any better here. Yeah, but I don't really like him for this either. So wow. okay, so he died. He ended up dying in 1903. That's so long after. We're gonna go into here. So here's something else that I mentioned a while ago about Batty Street and the Batty Street Lodger. So Batty Street was immediately behind Burner Street, which mm-hmm. is where Liz Stride was killed. Um. That's the one where the guy pulled in with his pony and the pony shied away and they thought that the killer was standing right there in that alleyway. Um, So Batty Street is immediately behind. There were so three and this is three doors down from the murder of Miriam Angel, who was the pregnant woman that Israel Lipsky had killed the year before. Mm -hmm. So this is a happening place for crime. I think the whole area is a happening place crime yeah 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 but murders were not murders yeah so this is like yeah so this is three doors down from where um the the angel lipsky murder happened a year prior and it's a lodging house at number 22 batty street and there was a landlady there who rented out rooms to lodgers early on the morning of the 30th which was the night of the double event mm-hmm. uh, supposedly she reported that one of her lodgers had come back at that hour and woken her up and he told her that he was going to leave a shirt for her to wash and he'd be back in a couple of days and he was going to leave and he kind of skedaddled really fast. When she looked at the shirt after he was already gone, it was saturated with blood that was still wet. And she, and then she heard about the murders. Did she point the finger at anyone? She, no, uh, like I couldn't find anything about the identity and like we've talked about like you can just show up and say hello my name is yeah you know clean this shirt why why would you want why would you want it cleaned i know could you even clean it then they didn't have tide sticks they didn't have bleach they might have i was bleach made i don't know know. who cares anyway so she thought it was suspicious at the time Mm -hmm. and she informed the cops and they set up they they were actually watching the house for a while because this guy had said that he would be back like after the weekend or something. He never showed up. And the cops, they somehow, it's not really said why, but they somehow found some kind of explanation for why this shirt was bloodstained that wasn't the murders and they ended up dismissing it. But a lot of people now still think that that could have been the killer in this book. So the cops dismissed it. Um, at the time, a newspaper in London, it seems like only one, on, reported that an American had been arrested in the area on October 8th. Mm-hmm. So this was in that period after the double event, but before Mary Kelly. 
supposedly this guy was acting suspicious and he was talking, he was seen talking to a couple of sex workers and he knew that he, he eventually figured out he was being tailed and he went into a place and came out with different clothes on or whatever. And he was, I don't know, arrested, but then released for just being a suspicious character. But they don't have any information with no. Nate. And it was only one source. So it could, you know, it could just be BS. Because yeah. They did that, as we've established. Yeah. But people who are Tumblety people, they think that this, this guy, the lodger, it was all, it could have all been Tumblety. I mean, were there a lot of Americans who go to England? Is that like common? Yeah. Like there were a lot of steamers and stuff going back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about one other thing though. The American victim of Jack the Ripper. Mm. Harry Brown. So this was, People actually at the time thought that she could be a Ripper victim. And there was this whole panic of like, oh, Jack the Ripper's come to America. Mm -hmm. So Carrie Brown was a sex worker in Manhattan and she was about 57 years old in 1891. There are there's actually a picture of her in life and like she just looks like a like a Victorian granny. But Similar to a lot of our other people there. I mean, there's not as much known about her. Um, but she was in that kind of like super poor, poor yeah. area of town. It seems like it, it's kind of implied that she had been a sex worker for like a large part of her life. Mm -hmm. this sort of thing. Um, she but she had a habit of she loved William Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And after a few drinks and while in playing drinking games with friends, and whatever, she would start quoting his sonnets at people god and so her nickname was shakespeare so her friends would actually okay. call her shakespeare um newspapers then incorrectly recalled that they called her old shakespeare because let's not forget this is an older woman and that determines value mm, that's so, so. nice <laughs> it's just like now yeah here's a reminder that you're old you're old yeah you're old super women. old Ugh. how dare you exist how dare you even have sex yeah Okay, so on the night of April 23rd, 24th of 1891, uh, Carrie Brown checked into the East River Hotel, which was like a really, despite the name, a really gross, squalid, like lodging house, essentially, um, late at night, like around 1030 or 11, with a man who was described as being in his 30s. He was described as foreign looking, but this is not the foreign description that we got in England because apparently this guy was blonde and German looking. So that's foreign looking in. Well, but blonde and German. Like, I mean, German is foreign. It is, but it's like, it's just not something, right? Where you're like, oh, that person looks German. Like, what does that even Maybe mean? Maybe looks like. Looks like a fucking Bond trap. I don't know. Yeah, like an Aryan <laughs> child or something. I'm not really I don't sure. Know. Anyway, so she was found the next morning. Um, here's where it's not funny. Um, badly mutilated. They a lot of the details, we don't have the details that survive the way that we do with these other victims, where we know about all of these, uh, yeah. like what incisions were made and the different, like, you know, injuries to organs and these sort of things. The newspapers just seem to really gloss over it. This is America. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Well, and at the time. The, it seemed like the cops were trying to especially make it seem like, no, no, this is not Jack the Ripper. Yeah, he's, he's not dead. here. Don't worry. Yeah. He's not. He didn't come to America. Um, so they don't really, all they really say is that she had 
a lot of stabs and wounds. And if you go to the casebook website, there are two um, like mortuary photos that show some of the like mutilations to yeah. the pelvic area. And it's not like, I mean, it's not, it's not like Kate Eddowes or Mary Kelly's pictures, but like you can see that there are. But was like, it mostly to the pelvic area? Yeah. It's, and there, it looked like there were some cuts like on the legs too. Yeah. So that could potentially fit with what yeah. happened because with the, with the canonical victims and whatnot, they, like a lot of their wounds, they weren't like a slicing, like kind of like yes. a scalpel wound. They were mm -hmm. like, it was more of like a stab in. Like a slash. Yeah. So like a rip. That like a rip. Mm -hmm. So that's um that's kind of one of those things. Despite this description of a foreign looking blonde dude, they arrest a guy who's staying in the same lodging house who is um, an Algerian man. Okay. Who he's yeah. he's um he's an Arab though. Like he's ethnically. I thought Arab. you were gonna say Italian because they no. also didn't like them either. No. <laughs> so worse than that, he's not even European. Yeah. He's like a um trash an Algerian like of a, Arab descent. Like me, Disney. trash. <laughs> You're not from Europe. It's You're not trash. about you. This is about Amir Ben Ali. Yeah. Who Just was saying this we're dude? All trash. Unless so, we're white. so he ended up being arrested. And then sentenced to uh, life in prison for this murder. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but after 11 years of being incarcerated in New York State, he ended up being exonerated because they realized that uh, that a lot of the people who testified like expert witness kind of thing at his trial were just like literally making shit up. Yeah. That they could not scientifically know to be true. And they had initially arrested him because there were supposedly blood smears going from the room that Carrie Brown was found in towards this guy's uh, room. But the reason that they got there was because the cops who were investigating smeared, smeared. the blood yeah. as they're going in and out. And That's... then they're like, oh, look, the blood trail leads to him. <sighs> so he got exonerated. And I think they even apologized to him. I'm surprised they apologized to him. Out. Yeah. Like, luckily, it didn't, you know, anyway. That's another thing. And people say, well, that that supports Francis Tumblety because he was in the States at the time. Also, George Chapman, who is still going by Severin Klazowski, was in Jersey City at that time. So he was also living very close by. So some of the con I don't think it was either. No. Anyway, and I don't I don't think that Carrie Brown was a ripper victim. But no, she's I'm just including her because people think it it's there if you look up stuff anyway. Let's go to some of the cons about why it could, why it's not Francis Tumblety. He would have been significantly older than the reports at the time. So he said most people said that the person that they saw was between like 35 to 40. He would have been 55 at the time. So that's significantly older. Um, another thing is the height. So he was either 5'10 or 5'11. And witnesses, they put him in more kind of like the 5'2 to 5'5 range. The, the person who was seen with rather the, short. The yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Because Annie Chapman was like, I think what, like five foot or five yeah. foot one or something. And the person who saw her with her, like last, what they think was the killer, her last like customer was not much taller than mm -hmm. her. So Tumblety was tall for the time. So he would have been noticeable. He, you know, he was known to have a big ass mustache. He dressed flamboyantly. He was American. 
So people notice the accent as well. Yeah. And yeah. Th- that's the other thing is that no one, I mean, I don't know, maybe he was good at accents. It's possible, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's Americans like, aren't mm. good with English accents. Yeah. And he didn't have like a foreign appearance because he, his family was Irish. So if yeah. you look at, there's like a picture of him from, I think, I think more like more around the time of like the Lincoln assassination. Yeah. Which is an interesting connection. And it looks like he has light colored hair and like blue eyes. So I don't think anyone would be saying, oh, he looks like a Polish Jew. That's true. Like that. And that was a very common, like that was a pretty common description on them all. Um, And the other thing is, again, with the gay misogynist killer, like I just don't, I don't buy it. No, I think that's stupid. I, I That's not, no. Let's talk about someone else who it definitely wasn't, but who has a connection here to London, Ontario. This is a serial killer known as Dr. Thomas Neil Cream. He was also known as the Lambeth Poisoner. He was born in Glasgow, but his family moved to Canada and he was raised near Quebec City. He went to McGill University, which is one of the like best universities still to this day in Canada. Um, he wrote his thesis on chloroform. How ironic. I also found a picture of his graduating class from McGill. And they look like the group of the biggest douchebags ever. It just mean, goes to show that fuckboys never change. No, no, they don't. He ended up doing his postgrad in London, UK, real London and Edinburgh. And then he came to London, Ontario to practice medicine. We're like, um, the you know, the sad one. So to practice medicine, but kind of mostly to provide back alley abortions. Yeah. He got married to this woman named Flora Brooks, and she was pregnant in 1876. And he nearly killed her while giving her an abortion. So, so he doesn't. Uh, he, the thing is, like, I think it's like a, it is a good pursuit if, you know, abortions are illegal you're and you really, it. and you're good at you it. You can like do it without killing people. Yeah, that'd be nice. But no, this guy, well, I mean, he goes on to be a serial killer. So I think he didn't really, anyway. No. Uh, Flora supposedly died of consumption the next year, but in retrospect, people think that he might have actually killed her at that time. Hmm. A couple years later, 1879, still here in London, a woman named Kate Gardner was found dead in either, there's a couple different reports of either the alley behind his office or an outhouse behind his office with a bottle of chloroform beside her. Dr. Cream's explanation for this was, she turned up so people had people knew that she had been going to his office mm-hmm. and there were rumors that he was having an affair with her. And so he was the father of the baby that she wanted boarded. Anyway, what he told the inquest trying to determine her death was, oh, she showed up wanting an abortion, but I don't do that. And so she just went out back and killed herself with chloroform just right in my backyard. Like, yeah, okay. no, man, literally no one bought it. And he fled to the United States. Yeah. To escape prosecution. He set up shop in Chicago, providing illegal abortions to sex workers in very poor areas. And um, a whole bunch of them start dying from strychnine poisoning. So no one does anything about that, though, because there's no one cares. No one cares. No, there's a good reason why he's almost like 99.999% not Jack the Ripper. And that's because he was in a prison in Joliet, Illinois at the time of the murder. Oh, so he did go to prison, though. We're going to talk about that. So what had happened was he had 
He was having an affair with a married woman. She wanted to get rid of her husband. He says, hey, I know how to kill people and poisons him with strychnine. The police make a case against the two of them and they get her to flip on him in exchange for immunity. So he goes down for the murder by himself and he's given a life sentence. Uh, In 1891, his brother, they're all rich at this time because the rich dad died and left them all money. One of his brothers writes to like prison officials and government officials and supposedly most likely bribes a lot of people Mm -hmm. and gets him released from his life sentence after like, I I think it was like 11 years or something like that, 10 or 11 years, gets out and he takes his money and he goes straight to London, England. All I could see in my head is a stupid face. (laughs) Yeah, he he does. Yeah. Okay. He, so here's the thing with his murders that he does there. And these are what, what he became known as the serial killer for. Uh But there were all these other ones before that were kind of different, but. These are his Lambeth Poisoner. This is what he's known for, what he was convicted for. Um, and the thing is, too, that he would have, he probably would have gotten away with it if he wasn't like sending blackmail letters to people trying to say, I know that you killed this person and you need to send me money or else I'm going to tell them that you killed them. I mean, he's the one that killed them. So it's like, why? Like, so stupid. It's just, anyway, okay, let's get into it. He was probably very pompous and thought that he can get away with it. It was just sure. the stupidest idea ever. And it's like, you are like, I mean, just murders aside, just that plan is like a stain on the face of McGill University. <laughs> what? There's How probably you more. It makes no sense. There's anyway, probably more. Let's get into the actual murders then. So October 13th, 1891. Um, all of these women are sex workers. In and this is in the part of London called Lambeth. Our London also has a Lambeth. Yeah, that's why I was confused for a second. I was like, mm, did he kill a whole bunch of Everything's people? Everything's the same. Well, it's just like the river, right? Like the river. Uh, yeah. They just came here and they were like, I know what we'll do. We'll name everything exactly the same. And then they'll confuse people into visiting us instead of them. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to fake London. October 13th, he had a drink with a 19-year-old named Nellie Donworth, and uh, he bought her the drink. So she drank it. The next day, she becomes very ill, and three days later, she dies. Sorry, six days later. Six days later, she dies. Anyway, later, she dies. October 20th, so a week later, he meets up with this uh, with a 27-year-old woman named Matilda Clover. He gave her something, too, and she ended up becoming ill and dying the next day. However, her death was attributed to alcoholism. And so it was recorded as natural cause death. Oh, okay. Here's part of where Neil Cream really like he, if he wasn't such like, Oh, but such, good, I don't know. Aren't you thankful that he, thank is. God he was such a, yeah, like stupid jackass. Anyway, he was started writing all these letters to different people, like prominent doctors. Mm. There was one was like a bookseller or something like that. And, you know, he would say like, oh, I will reveal who the murderer of this person is if you send me 300,000 pounds, which can you imagine what that even is now? I can't like 300 million dollars. Yeah, I want to imagine probably. in my head right now. Like 300,000 pounds in today's money. Yeah. Okay. So. And then, of course, trying to say he would also write two people trying to essentially frame them for his murder, but then blackmail them to keep it quiet. So it's like, why would they send you money 
if they know that they're not the person who murdered it. Anyway, part of what made cops realize that this has to be the murderer is because he kept referring to Matilda Clover as a murderer and they thought it was a natural death. Oh. So, of course, only the killer would know that yes. she was actually murdered mm-hmm. and not dying as a complication of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes for a trip back to Canada for a while, and he's back in real London, UK, for April 2nd, 1892, where he gives a couple of pills to a woman named uh, Louise Harvey, who very smartly, she her spidey sense is tingled, and she pretended to take the pills in front of him. Uh-huh. And then they went separate ways. And then she spit it out. And she she didn't even know she didn't even put them in her mouth. Oh, okay. she's smart. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. So she trusts her gut. She didn't take them. She like palmed it or whatever, pretended to take the pills. I he like gave her some excuse of, you know, they're for this or the, you know, they're to help you with whatever, you know, some kind of magic pill that you take. Did they ever shit. reveal like the why he was doing this? He was a serial killer douchebag. Just that, like, there's no reason as to why he chose any of the women. He just no. I think it was just. I mean, well, I mean, at this point, he had had a long history of murdering sex workers. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so she ends up just throwing them into the Thames River yeah. on her way home, and she lives. And she ends up testifying against him at his trial later on. She just saved those pills. A couple days later, on the eleventh. He ends up talking his way into this room that these two young women share. Alish, Al, Alish, Alice, Alice Marsh, 21, and Emma Shrivel, 18. Okay. Um, he offers them each some bottles of Guinness. Hello. And, uh, but he had, so much like the first two victims, he had laced this with strychnine. So he didn't give them pills. He gave them poisoned alcohol. How did he like, Reseal the Guinness or did he pour it? I don't think there were any. I mean, like if the Tylenol murders in like the 80s, people were able to like, you know, get you into want, that like packaging. The- Imagine how much more shitty it was a hundred years before. Yeah. I'm sure it's like it probably would have been so easy. I didn't know if like maybe um they had a way to seal it so that you wouldn't be able to get in like you would be able to keep up the fermentation and like well, I think he probably just mixed it up like kind of right before he took it to them yeah, or whatever. Like I don't sense. think he was just kind of walking around with like a two four waiting to pass them out. Probably don't even have bottles back then. I'm thinking of totally different wrong things. No, right they now. did have bottles. Well they had glass I think they bottles. just had different yeah. Like, yeah. methods of opening. Yeah, they didn't like crack open a can. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway. <laughs> this is okay. So he ends up leaving before they finish drinking their Guinnesses. And so he, just like all the other ones, he's not there to actually see them die. And the thing with strychnine poisoning is that it's, it's extremely painful. Mm. So there is kind of a gap between when you take it and when you start like exhibiting the symptoms and die. Mm -hmm. And Uh, you can't taste it. There's no taste to it. I don't know. Actually, I didn't look that up, but a lot of people were like strychnine was the, the kind of main poison of this era. Mm-hmm. tons of people if you look up crimes from the like late victorian era everyone was getting poisoned with strychnine it's probably readily available and, it was yeah. yeah so their neighbors actually end up hearing them like just like convulsing yeah screaming. yeah like in terrible agony there's nothing anyone can do and they both die dr cream continues his uh his quest to like do himself in by 
anyway. He wants to get caught. He So he's, you know, swanning about Lambeth, whatever. He meets this man who is a policeman from New York. And this guy has, was visiting London. And he had read in the local uh, papers about the Lambeth Poisoner. And they start chatting about it. So Dr. Cream says, hey, I'll take you on a tour of where all the victims lived. Oh, my so God. So he shows him, like, the homes of all these women who are dead. Somehow knows that information. Yeah. This cop then, at some point in his travels, meets up with a local cop. Yeah. And he says, oh, you, you know, the Lambeth Poisoner. Oh, this guy took me around where all the women live lived and that that british cop says well that's very suspicious yeah so they start investigating him they trail him for a while i mean he's freaking oh just dumb as a doornail so he it's not hard for them they gather evidence on him they arrest him it takes the jury 10 minutes to find him guilty yeah that's there's no question because at this point like at this point they knew that all of these letters all these blackmail letters had come from the same person it had to have been the killer they could you know prove that it was him anyway it was definitely him he in jail while waiting for execution he tells his jailers that he has killed a ton of women Mm -hmm. while he is put up on the gallows to be hanged and they put like the hood over him and everything like that. He supposedly said, I am Jack the, and then fell. No, he wasn't. This is why people think that it could have been. It's because he's an asshole. So the thing is that only one person said like recorded that he said that. Yeah. None of the other officials who were right around there that also would have heard it if he said it. He did. No one else said it. Yeah. As and if he did as, say it, he it wasn't him. Was supposedly in jail in Illinois, and he didn't. He didn't have like the violent tendencies that you need. Yeah, he was a murderer for sure, but he wasn't. There's, it's very different yeah. to like not even watch them die. You just want to kill people, but you, you don't just, care. Just yeah, just the thought of like knowing that oh they're going to be in so much. Pain. I think I think yeah. I read at some point. I didn't make a note of this here because I was trying to be brief, which is never going to work with me, but. Um, I think I read at one point a while ago when I first read about this guy that when uh, when Louise Harvey, the woman who pretended to take the pill and later threw it in the Thames, mm-hmm. when she walked into the courtroom, he had no idea that she was going to be a witness. Even and he was just alive. went so pale because he thought she was dead. Yeah. It's because he never like saw these women mm-hmm. die. He gave them the poison. He left a lot of times before they take took it, but definitely before they started dying. Yeah. So there's so, no, he didn't want to see extreme, it. Yeah, like yeah. poisoning is very different from like stabbing, slashing, mutilating, all this sort of stuff. So who do you think it is? Oh, we're not done yet. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> God, how long is this? Like three hours. Okay, but people have an answer about the prison thing because the jail in Joliet, Illinois was notoriously corrupt and he got his inheritance from his father in 1887 so people who believe in this theory think that he used his sudden wealth to bribe his way out of the jail at the time it wasn't him and it doesn't matter and supposedly his brother in 1891 just you know got the the paperwork to say oh he's free now he's but he was already off supposedly no it wasn't him it doesn't matter as i say that's a stretch. You just you're just adding things to a story because you're like, well, he's already a murderer, so let's pin it on him. No, yeah. 
And then I'm just going to go through some like rapid fire quick ones. Like, All right. Who else it might have been. So we did mention before Walter, Walter Sickert. Um, and that's kind of like a piggyback on the the royal conspiracy. He was a painter at the time. He's, I don't know, I guess, well known of people who know painters. I don't know, whatever. Um, he supposedly married this, eventually married this daughter, had an illegitimate child with like the daughter that was supposedly the kid of Prince Eddie and the Catholic sex worker or whatever. It's all BS. Anyway. Um, but people, one of the things that people point to are like more of this Da Vinci code shit that he like hid all these clues in his paintings. No. One of his paintings was called Jack the Ripper's Bedroom. That doesn't mean anything. But it's because supposedly that was because he was in a boarding house at the time uh-huh. and the landlady there said to him, Jack the Ripper was in this room. She's like, I had a lodger at the time and I'm sure it was him. So maybe, maybe this is on Batty Street. Maybe. But anyway, it's definitely not him. Um, other theories are that they weren't all killed by the same person and that this is a case of it's always the husband. So that especially Elizabeth no, that Stride yeah, and or, Mary yeah. Kelly were killed by their, you know, like common law husband, living boyfriends, whatever they were. Um, Mary Kelly, people also think it could have been the uh, George Hutchison, the guy who saw her on the street and she asked if she could have six pence and he followed her and the guy back mm-hmm. and stood outside for like a long time in the rain, seeing if she would free up. Um, people say him. Um, another a no- more popular modern, like really recent suspect is one of the people who discovered Polly Nichols, the mm-hmm. first canonical victim. So if you remember all the way back, whenever we recorded it, the the two cart men who are walking separately, but on the same street and they discovered Polly Nichols and she was still uh, warm and everything. So people think that this guy, his name was Charles Lenchmere, although he later changed his name to Charles Cross just because. Yeah. Um, it was like his his mom's like second husband or common law husband's name or whatever. And I guess, I don't know, easier than Lenchmere, I guess. Anyway, so they think that he must have been the killer who like slit her throat. And there's there's a whole documentary on it. It's actually really interesting. It's on YouTube. Do I remember what it's called? No. But there's anyway, so many documentaries. But they they show they even show like where all the light sources were and how far the light would have reached and like okay. these recreations. So that part is really interesting. I don't think it was him no. at all. But anyway, that's a, that's kind of a popular modern theory. Um, any celebrity at the time, people have said it's them. Um, Angela thought it might be Charles Dickens. I mean, who died sure. in 1870? You know, but it could have been his. He could you could be like Tupac. He'd still be alive. What what better way to like avoid suspicion than by faking your death and then almost twenty years before yeah, and then starting your career as a serial killer right after? No, twenty like eighteen years later. Yeah, so eighteen seventy. <laughs> oh, he God. tried some other things first. But then that gave me an then... idea. Of, do you know who it must really be? The Zodiac Killer, aka Ted Cruz. Yeah, I mean he's definitely a vampire, right? I mean, we know that he's not a fan of, like, poor people, right? Yeah. <laughs> sex workers. Definitely doesn't like sex workers, for sure. There you go. So. We cracked it. It's Ted Cruz. Yeah. So who do you think it is, though? I, for the longest time, I was an Aaron Kosminski person. Yeah. I kind of more recently, I kind of, I feel I'm leaning a little bit more towards the David Cohen, Aaron Kosminski. Yeah. But I think that it... I think that the most likely we may not even know the person's name, but I think it was a resident of Whitechapel of like the poor areas. I think there is a decent chance that it was a Polish Jew, 
as opposed to like just a like random English person mm-hmm. who lived in that area. Um, I think there's a good chance of it. But it had to have been someone who could like speak to these women because they, I mean, he almost certainly was seen at least once and heard having a conversation with the with one of the victims. So I think he couldn't have been someone who was like, you know, just newly arrived to the area, didn't speak the language like George Chapman. Um, and that is kind of my big issue with Kaminsky as well. Yeah, because he had an accent. But I think it's I think it might even be more likely that it could just be a person whose name does not survive. Yeah, because tons of people who live in that era aren't remembered anymore. Yeah. Or at least there might not have been any record that would tie them to it. Like they might yeah. show up on a census or something like that. But they, you know, who knows? But I, I'm pretty sure Jack Ripper died soon after. I Yeah, I believe yeah. that he would have had to have either died or somehow been like indisposed in a way that he could not continue. Yes. Some people think that, oh, well, he, you know, he killed Mary Kelly and that was like his magnum opus. And he was no, like, that's, that's not it. how that works. I'll never kill another. And no, it's like, that's, that's not, not how, how that works. Serial no. killers work at all. No. But then there's also kind of the question of, but was it really a serial killer or was it a spree killing? Because those can be very different. That's true too. Who do you think it was? I thought it was Cohen for sure, but because just because it's a very physical anger issues and hatred but oh you're coming away from walter sicker was it me saying how like how bad i thought the idea was all this time no <laughs> it's for sure uh, lewis carroll yeah yeah putting his uh trippy da vinci clues yes. in alice in wonderland yes it's for sure him yeah yeah oh. Well, thank you for coming and finishing this series. I can finally say it's over. It's the conclusion. I'll have you obviously over again for a different thing. But thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. Thank you for letting me go on for hours upon hours. (laughs) No problem. Thank you listeners for listening to this series. Let me know if you enjoyed it. And if you didn't, you can keep it to yourself. Exactly. Don't need to tell me. Don't listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, only comment if you liked it (laughs) or if any any like constructive criticism that you think you can take without you know hurting my very very weak ego (laughs) um yeah follow me on all social medias and all that stuff and hopefully you're still alive next month next two weeks i don't really know my schedule is anymore for releasing these things and i'm really sorry But by the next episode, I hope you're still alive. You're still with me and you're not too bored. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.